Hello and welcome to the podcast Shedding Candlelight on Cryptids, Hauntings, Mythology, and more. If it is weird, we are talking about it. This is your host, Lee Donna, and if you would like to see a video version of the show, you can find it on Spotify and YouTube. Just look for the Mortal Monsters podcast on the platform of your choice. You can also watch or listen to the show on Patreon, where there are bonus episodes, early releases, and you get access to all of my ebooks and audiobooks. Just go to patreon.com forward slash Lidana. Resources for today's episode will be listed in the show notes, and depending on when this episode releases, the show notes might only be a single link that will take you to a blog on my website. I'm doing this because I noticed that some of the links are not remaining clickable on all of the podcast platforms, which I believe is probably an issue with whatever magic allows me to upload my show to a single location, the RSS feed, then broadcasting out to all the individual platforms. Understanding this magic is something beyond me, and I also just do not care to know. So until the internet wizards explain themselves in clear and understandable ways, I will simply go for the easy fix and link to a blog post for each episode. Today's show topic is steeped in mythology and oftentimes the subject of haunted tales. But this doubly delightful topic does not stop there. It is also very real and very cryptid. So hold on to your hats and race along with me through the fascinating and sometimes bizarre world of twins. (laughs) Up first on our journey through twindom is the term Irish twins. These are not actual twins. This term refers to siblings born within 12 months of each other, and it has roots in being a disparaging term, one that came about in the late 19th century when large Irish families were immigrating to the United States. I think I heard this term in a movie once, but most of you do not live under a rock the way I do, so maybe it's more familiar to you. If that's the case and you didn't know what it meant or where it came from, now you do. When I started doing book research for an evil twin plot, I had no idea that I'd get enamored with all things twin. But with the power of Google at my fingertips, I got lost down so many rabbit holes, none of them having much of anything to do with evil twins. So today's episode is going to be a little bit different. I am going to present an overview of interesting facts about twins, only briefly touching on most of them because there is a lot to cover and we'll probably end up breaking down some of the more intriguing bits during future episodes because the vastness of the twin landscape allows for just about any show topic to be relative to twins. In case you are not sold on this topic being interesting, let me tell you that human chimeras are real. They walk among you and like you, they have no idea. Before you start eyeing your neighbor like they're going to break out in reptilian skin and eat you alive, you should know that twins of any sort, including the chimeric variety, only make up about 2% of the world's population. However, the incidence of twins is increasing because of modern fertility methods such as IVF, but still only about 3% of live births include twins. Twins being defined as two offspring born from the same pregnancy. This happens when two eggs are fertilized or when an embryo spontaneously splits. 
scientists can't nail down exactly why the latter happens. They can intentionally split embryos, but in nature, embryos splitting is considered a random event. However, hyperovulation, a condition where more than one egg is released during ovulation, is common enough, and it can be hereditary. This is why fraternal twins can run in families, and they're sometimes even said to skip generations. This appearance of skipping happens when a father is a silent carrier of the gene for hyperovulation, and he passes this gene on to his daughter. Now, we are going to get more into the types of twins later, but for now, let's define that identical twins are the result of one fertilized egg splitting into two separate embryos. This is the spontaneous random event in nature that scientists can't quite figure out. Fraternal twins are the result of two different eggs being fertilized at the same time. This means they are made the way the vast majority of the human population is, from their own special little egg, they usually aren't even any more alike than regular siblings. If you've had identical twins, the odds of you having another set is extremely low. However, if you've had fraternal twins, your chances of having another set is three to four times higher than the rest of the population. Another fun fact is that twins are more commonly female rather than male, but male embryos die at a higher rate while in utero than female embryos do. And there's also a higher death rate in utero for twins overall, so maybe the higher commonality of female twins is simply a matter of females having a higher rate of survival. Twins are also more commonly left-handed than the general population. With an analysis of 19 different studies on left-handedness in twins, showing that 15% of identical twins and 12% of non-identical twins were left-handed. In the general population, only about 9% of people are left-handed. When it comes to mothers of twins, they are on average one inch taller than moms who carry single babies. This is because tall women tend to have higher levels of insulin-like growth factor, IGF, a hormone that may be responsible for them being taller, and one that stimulates the ovaries to release many eggs at once rather than only one egg during ovulation. Also, women over the age of 30 are more likely to release two or more eggs during ovulation. This is a natural phenomenon that occurs without fertility treatment, so women over 30 have a higher chance of becoming pregnant with twins. However, Asian females are least likely to have twins, while African American females have twins more often than women of other races. A particularly high rate of twinning has also been found in Nigeria. It's believed that the cultures in this part of the world consume an abundance of yams, which contain phytoestrogens. Scientists theorize that this causes women with these particular types of diets to release more than one egg during ovulation. There's even a study that found that women who consume dairy products are more likely to have twins than women who are vegan. Vegan females had twins at one-fifth the rate of females with either vegetarian or omnivorous diets. But probably the most interesting part of a woman's fertility is that she can release not only multiple eggs at once, but she can release two or more eggs during any of the days of her ovulation. This means two things. 
One, if she gets pregnant, say today, and then tomorrow, instead of her body doing what normally happens during pregnancy, which is halting the release of more eggs, she goes ahead and releases another egg. She could end up carrying two embryos of two different ages. You heard that right. Her children could actually be conceived on different days. This process is called superfetation, and embryos conceived in this way are not considered fraternal twins since they technically are not the same age. If these embryos are conceived only a day apart, I wager some calculations have been wrong and we have some siblings out there thinking they are fraternal twins when one of them is actually a day or two older. It isn't uncommon for one twin to be born smaller than the other. And maybe this isn't only because of the way nutrients and space are shared inside the womb. I'm not exactly sure how this could be tested. So if you are a fraternal twin and you're tired of sharing everything with your sibling, just decide that whichever twin was larger at birth is the eldest sibling and should therefore celebrate their birthday a day early. Or maybe the smaller twin celebrates a day later. I mean, you could technically deny that you are even a twin, but I'm pretty sure that's an immediate demotion into evil twin territory. So deny your twin at your own peril. And before you decide to take that kind of a leap, let me cause a little more strife and let you know that the Yoruba culture considers the second born twin as the eldest. This culture believes that the second born twin sends out the first twin having them judge if the world is fit and beautiful before he or she descends. So basically, twin number two is the boss. The second and maybe more interesting aspect of a woman releasing multiple eggs over the course of multiple days is that during this time, if she has multiple sexual partners, it's entirely possible for the eggs to be fertilized by different men. So multiple embryos in the same pregnancy can have different fathers, as is the case with Castor and Pollux. In Greek mythology, these twins have two different fathers, which isn't an uncommon theme in mythology. So did ancient people's understanding of the female body include knowing she could have multi-fathered babies in one pregnancy, or were they just good guessers? What we know for sure is that twins are part of just about every culture's mythology and are often cast as two halves of the same whole, sharing a bond deeper than that of ordinary siblings. Castor, mortal because his father is the king of Sparta, and Pollux, immortal because his father is Zeus, are depicted as having a bond so strong that when Castor dies, Pollux gives up his immortality to be with his brother. Sometimes, though, twins are depicted as fierce rivals, such as Proteus and Acrisius, or they are depicted as complete opposites of one another, good versus evil, as with the Native American forces of nature twins, Kokomot and Bahatal. Or like in the portrayal of the civilized Gilgamesh versus the wild Enkidu. So while in some cultures, twins are seen as ominous and in others, they are more auspicious, twins in mythology are often depicted to have special powers like control over the weather. And they are often associated with healing, divination, or other insights into the future. 
This applies when we are talking about divine twins, such as Romulus and Remus, who are central to Rome's foundation story, or plain old mortal twins like Cassandra and Hellenus, who had prophetic powers. Twins can also be seen as representations of a dualistic worldview and can represent another aspect of the self, such as a doppelganger or a shadow. Now, technically, a doppelganger is a little different because by definition, it's a biologically unrelated lookalike. But the term comes up in the modern sense when people talk about the evil twin. And in fiction and myth, a doppelganger is often portrayed as a paranormal phenomenon, and it's usually a harbinger of bad luck. So while an evil twin can be a harbinger of death, it isn't paranormal. Evil twins are generally lookalike copies with different sets of morality. In astronomy, Venus is often called Earth's evil twin in reference to the similarity yet opposition of the two bodies. Amongst the Mandika of southern Mali, the origin of the world is attributed to twins. Legend states that Mangala, or God, twice tried to create the world with seeds. The first attempt failed because he had but one seed. On his second attempt, Mangala used four sets of twin seeds. This experiment worked, and soon the universe was growing within a cosmic egg. Ultimately, however, one of the male twins, Pimba, grew tired of being confined. In attempting to escape, he proved himself treacherous. The rip he caused in the cosmic egg begat the earth. It also compelled Mangala to seek a sacrifice of atonement. For this atonement, Mangala killed Pimba's innocent fraternal twin, Faro. When Faro's remains were scattered on the newly formed earth, fertile land was formed. Thus, the earth as we know it is the result of the treason of the evil twin and the sacrifice of the good one. Many creation stories follow the same type of duality, providing for the role of dualistic twins, even if it is only through the introduction of good versus evil. This is a dualistic cosmology, which is the moral and spiritual belief that two fundamental concepts exist, which often oppose each other the benevolent and the malevolent. In the case of moral dualism, which is something I've heard Native Americans speak about in terms of not seeing entities as inherently evil, it is believed that the opposing forces of good and bad work together to complement one another. In theology, dualism can also refer to the relationship between the deity and creation or the deity and the universe. This form of dualism is a belief shared in certain traditions of Christianity and also in Hinduism. Alternatively, in ontological dualism, the world is divided into two overarching categories, the opposition and combination of the universe's two basic principles of yin and yang, or as we say here in the States, yin and yang, is a large part of Chinese philosophy. And it is also an important feature in Taoism. It's also discussed in Confucianism. These types of dualistic ideology can be found in all inhabited continents. And some people believe that the spreading of these types of ideas cannot be explained by diffusion or borrowing, but that it had to have come from a more central point of origin. 
when you actually study religion and you look at the belief structures of civilizations, I have to say that I agree. Whatever you believe, it is not novel. In fact, you can trace aspects of every religion all the way back to the earliest recorded history. When you do that, then follow these beliefs back through time, you see how man changed a few things here and there to fit whatever was happening in the world when any particular bit of religious text was written down, but one story is much like the other, and I find it fascinating to really break religion down because so many lives have been lost in the name of religion. Most of the time, the people fighting for their cause have no idea where their own doctrine even came from, let alone what the people they're persecuting really believe. I do wish we lived in a world where the norm was to just experience other humans for what they are and who they are, instead of filtering everyone through our own perception of moral code, because if we were born in a different time or in a different place, we would probably believe what those other people believe. But let's move on, lest I begin to rant about how we can't see past the ends of our own noses. Also, I am getting ready to mispronounce many more words than I probably already have. <laughs> the concept of the evil twin is ancient. One of the earliest accounts may be in the Zervanite branch of Zoroastrianism. The Zervanite sect distilled the general abstract duality of Zoroastrianism into a concept of manifest twins born from Zervan, the creator, the god of infinite time and space. The twins, Ormuzd and Ayrman, were representations of good and evil, with Ormuzd repping for good and Ayrman for evil. Ormuzd, the good twin, was eventually expected to win the battle. Zervanism also had a doctrinal foundation of the concept of free will, and they emphasized that mortals always had a choice between good and evil. In a big way, this intriguing religion is very much like modern-day Christianity, and I did plan on doing a whole episode on the Zoroastrian people. I'm not sure that would interest any of you, but if it does, let me know and maybe one day we'll dive into it. For now, we'll leave off understanding that the twin brother doctrine is said to be traced back to these very early roots of religion and that the doctrine is a product of priest trying to clarify the enigma of the twin spirits as they appear in the ancient Zoroastrian text, the Yasna. 30.3-5 of the Avesta. You can get PDF versions of these texts and they've been translated into several languages. In the show notes, I will link to the page where you should be able to download those. The Zoroastrian origin story is basically in the beginning there was a god and he was alone. He desired offspring that would create heaven, hell, and everything in between. Thus, the twin brothers, the light and the dark, the good versus evil, were born. So twins are linked to many origin stories and they are depicted in various ways through every culture and religion. This is probably because people use what they know to explain the world around them and also because they fear what they do not understand. By the time we get to the end of this next section, I think it will be clear why twins fit so nicely into both of these camps. We are going to kick off this section by talking about the different types of twins because this goes way beyond just fraternal and identical. 
Firstly, the most common types of twins are fraternal. These are dizygotic twins, meaning they are born from two eggs being fertilized. This means the mother's ovaries released two eggs instead of the usual one, and each egg was fertilized by two different sperm. This fertilization would happen during the same event, making these true fraternal twins and no more genetically similar than their other siblings. Normally, these twins will have separate amniotic sacs as well as separate placentas, though in some cases, the placentas have been known to merge into one. Fraternal twins are typically mixed gender with around 50% being one boy and one girl. From there, we would see more girl-girl twins because for whatever reason, it is harder for males to survive. And as we know, despite our archaic roots when women were punished for not producing male heirs, gender is determined by the father. Dizygotic twins can also have different eye color, height, all of the same sorts of differences we see within children of any family. And the incidence of fraternal twins varies widely worldwide, with the likelihood of having dizygotic twins being linked to that inheritable genetic component of hyperovulation that we talked about earlier which is why it isn't uncommon for some family lines to show numerous sets of fraternal twins throughout their generations. About 23 in every 1,000 births is fraternal, a much higher rate than the three or four out of 1,000 births for identical twins. While the rates of dizygotic twins varies, the rates of monozygotic twins are fairly constant worldwide. Monozygotic twins are those coming from a single egg that splits in two, making them what we call identical twins because they have identical DNA. Monozygotic twins almost always share the same placenta and are typically of the same sex, with the highest occurrence of identical twins being female. However, there is an extremely rare genetic mutation where identical twins are formed, being of the same gender, and somewhere in early development, one of the eggs essentially loses its Y chromosome. Then the embryos develop as a boy-girl set of monozygotic twins. Despite sharing identical DNA, monozygotic twins, sometimes also called paternal twins, always have some variation in the way they look and act. This uniqueness is a result of the interaction between their genetic makeup and environmental influences from the moment they are conceived. Epigenetic influences and developmental factors in the mother's womb may influence one twin, but not the other. For example, nutrients may not be evenly distributed between both twins. And this, along with other influenceable gene expressions, will have an impact on the twins leading to differences such as one twin having a particular medical condition while the other twin does not. There is a, another rare form of identical twins called mirror image twins or mirror twins. These are monozygotic twins who are in fact mirror images of each other, meaning one is often left-handed while the other is right-handed. They may have the same birthmark appearing on opposite sides of their faces, they might even have situs inversus, a condition where their organs are on opposite sides of their bodies. Can you imagine being a doctor in the way back and one day you get this person on your table whose organs are not where they're supposed to be? 
What is the meaning of this? Left-right asymmetry takes place about two weeks after fertilization. So though scientists don't know why these twins split, it is theorized that mirror twins must split into two embryos sometime after this two-week period. And yet another rare form of monozygotic twins is the conjoined twin. There are two main scientific theories on how these types of twins form. One is that the fertilized egg doesn't completely split in two. The second theory is that the egg does indeed split, producing identical twins, but then at some point during their development, the twins fuse back together. About 10% of conjoined twins are external heteropagous twins. This is where one twin doesn't develop all of their organs or body parts, so they rely on the other twin for survival. This twin who didn't develop may look more like a mutation than a separate attached entity. Scientists believe these twins occur when an embryo splits late in development and one of the embryos just doesn't get to where it can survive on its own, so it fuses back to its twin. These twins could also be a result of one egg fusing to another and the stronger embryo somehow swallowing up the weaker one. Scientists don't know for sure, but in human examples where people are born with extra limbs, as is the case with Lakshmi Tatma, an Indian girl born in 2005 who had four arms and four legs, scientists have been able to confirm that the extra limbs are in fact a twin. In this particular case, because of how well the limbs were formed, researchers do believe that at one time the child's twin was completely separate and developing but then ended up fusing back to its sibling. Less than 200 cases of external heteropagous twins involve a scenario where the second twin is reported to be able to survive inside the other twin. But many scientists debate that what's described as living in these cases is even a twin at all. Their stance is that it is not a living being, but a tumor made up of hair and skin cells the result of an error in stem cells that can become anything the body needs. These tumors can often have developed body parts, and this is why many say that it has to be a twin and not simply an error in the stem cells. Whichever is the case, some of these tumors are problematic while others are benign. I know someone whose grandchild had one of these tumors. I don't recall the whole of what happened, but I know the little girl was having a lot of physical and maybe even some mental issues, and much of this cleared up after her tumor was surgically removed. The doctors had explained to the family that the little girl had been a twin, and if I'm not mistaken, they were either given or at least allowed to see the contents of the tumor, which included teeth. Now, it could be that the surgeon just told them what was in the tumor, but for some reason, the teeth stick out in my mind, and I know if this had been my child, I probably would have asked for those teeth. Actually, if I thought this was a twin, either my child or grandchild, I'd want the whole tumor. I'm sure you could have it cremated, so that's probably what I would try to do. Because scientists aren't able to predict when identical twins are going to form, they can't yet study heteropagous twins in a way that would prove one way or the other if this is a matter of two embryos fusing together or if one embryo envelops the other. And this brings us to the phenomenon known as the vanishing twin syndrome. This is when one twin or multiples dies and is absorbed by the other twin, the mother, or even the placenta. 
This can happen in up to a third of twin pregnancies, and it's different than heteropagous twins because the heteropagous twin is alive, or at least it is up until it fuses back to whence it came. In a vanishing twin, the twin actually dies. Basically, it's a miscarriage, but the baby isn't expelled. It's absorbed. When it's the other twin who absorbs them, scientists believe the surviving twin brings the whole being into themselves. This results in one baby being born having two people's genomes. That's right, we are now entering the cryptid world of chimeras. But this isn't fiction, folks. It is real life. So if you're listening to the show and you are a chimera twin, From the bottom of my heart, know that your existence is a source of joy in my life. When I call you a cryptid creature, I do so with the utmost respect. You and your multi-genome self are magnificent. And your twin didn't necessarily have to die in order for you to exist. Occasionally, twins are born where one or both have cells with the other twin's genome. The chances of being born a chimera increase when IVF is involved, and the chimeric twins do not always have to be identical. So we could have some fraternal chimeras out there. Those scientists have known about this genetic chimerism since the early 1900s. They have no idea how, why, or when these twins share their DNA or how their immune systems even handle having cells with different genomes. What scientists do know is that these merged cells can show up any place in the body, and some chimeras can even have two distinct blood cell lines, say type O and type A. This blood chimerism occurs in about 8% of dizygotic twins and 21% of triplets. In 1953, a human chimera was reported in the British Medical Journal. A woman was found to have blood containing two different blood types. Apparently, this resulted from her twin brother's cells living in her body. There is also a case of a man who fathered a child and said child had the father's twin's DNA. So that paternity test shows his brother is the father of his baby. You can also become what's considered an artificial chimera. This means you hail from only one cell lineage and that the other genetic line was introduced after you were born. This happens by way of organ transplants, transplantation of bone marrow, or even blood transfusions. The DNA content of semen from an assault case in 2004 matched that of a man who had been in prison at the time of the assault, but who had been a bone marrow donor for his brother, who was later determined to have committed the crime. In 2008, a man was killed in a traffic accident. In order to identify him, his DNA was analyzed. Results revealed that the DNA of his blood, along with some of his organs, appeared to show that he was female. It was later determined that he had received a bone marrow transplant from his daughter. There are so many fascinating cases out there on human chimeras, and some of them hit really hard, like a 2002 case in which a woman was denied public assistance after a DNA test showed that she was not the mother of her three children. Thankfully, she had a lawyer who knew about chimerism. They were able to show that she had two sets of DNA. 
And we would be remiss to leave out human-animal chimeras, sometimes called hybrids. These are humans having undergone transplantation of living cells, tissues, or organs from other species. When it comes to transplants and such, we're doing this more and more, using bits and pieces from animals that we can mold and make work for the human body. We're not getting into all of that today, but since we don't even understand how chimeras happen in nature, I'm going to wager we have absolutely no idea what the ramifications are when we create artificial human-animal hybrids. The first stable human-animal chimeras to exist were created in 2003 by Shanghai Second Medical University scientists. These hybrids were the result of having fused human cells with rabbit eggs. And in recent years, scientists have created a mouse embryo that is 4% human. The in vitro hybrids are not legally supposed to be allowed to mature into full-formed chimeras. These are supposedly for research purposes only and destroyed at some stage of their development. But we all know how this story ends because fiction writers everywhere have already told us about the uprising. And we can't stop it because... The Human Chimera Prohibition Act argued that there is an increasing amount of zoonotic diseases and the creation of human-animal chimeras can allow these diseases to reach humans. This act was not passed into law, nor was the Human-Animal Chimera Prohibition Act of 2016, in which an attempt was made to prohibit the creation of a human-animal chimera the attempt to transfer a human embryo into a non-human womb, and the attempt to transfer a non-human embryo into a human womb. So as fascinating as this research can be, it is also scary, and we do get into moral issues, especially when talking about things like letting parents select for genes they want in their child. It seems we would then be losing a part of the human experience, Though, if it was possible to identify and root out, say, serial killer genes, then yeah, I'd probably opt in. But I am not on board with planting human embryos and other animals and vice versa. There are lines and humans are not meant to manipulate life in a way where we are creating species. Just because we can do something doesn't mean that we should. At least that's my take on it anyway. But outside of labs and medical procedures, natural or non-artificial chimerism is extremely rare, with only about 100 confirmed cases. However, this may be due to the fact that humans might not be aware that they even have this condition to begin with. There are usually no signs or symptoms, but there are some physical traits that could point to you being a chimera. Physical symptoms such as hyperpigmentation, hypopigmentation, or possessing two different collared eyes. These signs do not mean you are a chimera, but if you have any of these things going on, you might be. And because so many chimeras are discovered through forensic investigation or curiosity over a failed paternity test, we should learn to remain calm when scientific results don't match with what we know to be true, like you being the actual mother of the baby you just gave birth to. Furthermore, and more commonly, people may exhibit microchimerism. This is when a small fraction of their cells are from someone else. 
This can happen when a woman becomes pregnant and a small number of cells from the fetus migrate into her blood and travel to different organs. A 2015 study suggested that this happens in almost all pregnant women, at least temporarily. In some cases, though, fetal cells may stay in a woman's body for years. A 2012 study analyzed the brains of 59 post-death women ages 32 to 101. They found that 63% of these women had traces of male DNA from fetal cells in their brains. The oldest woman to have fetal cells in her brain was 94 years old, suggesting that these cells can sometimes stay in the body for a lifetime. Now, before we wrap this up, we have one more type of twin to discuss, one so rare that there have only been two reported cases. These twins share 50 to 100% of their DNA, so they are more genetically similar than dizygotic twins, but less similar than monozygotic twins. They are the missing link between fraternal and identical. These are sesquizygotic twins. They are believed to form when a single egg becomes fertilized by two separate sperm. This is dispermic fertilization. It usually results in a single egg with an extra set of chromosomes, which is a fatal condition. But in the case of sesquizygotic twins, the single egg splits, but these twins are not identical. Scientists refer to them as semi-identical or half-identical twins. However, other biologists believe these twins do not come from eggs being fertilized, at least not entirely. They believe sesquizygotic twins are a result of polar bodies being fertilized. Polar bodies are immature cells that occur during egg development and usually die or disintegrate after the egg matures. So this second set of biologists are saying one egg is fertilized and one polar body or two polar bodies and no eggs at all, thus resulting in the semi-identical twins. Considering how much research there is, it truly is amazing that we know so little about twins. In our next episode, we are going to get into twin telepathy and other elements of twindom that are both proven and anecdotal. I was going to share all of this in one episode, but this one is getting rather long. So we'll talk about all the fun stuff next time because the parapsychological side of twins is where things really get interesting. So I hope you found this groundwork episode beneficial. Whether you did or you didn't, I'd love to hear from you. Tell me what topics you'd like me to look into because everything fascinates me. So nothing is really out of bounds unless it is super scary or even a little bit gross because I am pretty queasy. I passed out at the vet's office once and um, don't even think about letting your kid come running at me with loose teeth. I'll put a dollar under a pillow, but I am not looking at wiggly teeth, let alone pulling them. But I do plan to do some on-location work and I'll have guests on so maybe they can cover the icky stuff and pull your kid's teeth while I recover from looking at images of heteropagus twins. I do not recommend that you do that. Way too much blood. The only acceptable blood is in the form of a vampire story. This is known. 
So if you would like to suggest a show topic or tell me your personal encounters with the strange and bizarre, my email is leedonabooks at gmail.com. You can find me on social platforms using some form of Leedana, L-E-E-D-A-W-N-A, or there are links to those social places somewhere on my website, leedonabooks.com, patreon.com forward slash Leedana if you would like to join up for that. Immortal Monsters on YouTube. I do have the Lidana Books channel on YouTube as well, but be sure to only subscribe to the Immortal Monsters channel if you have no interest in hearing me talk about book publishing and other random topics related to that part of my creative journey. And that is all, folks. Thank you for joining me today. Less drugs, more trees, and do not cage the chimeras. Immortal Monsters. I apologize. I'm having a little bit of a croupy voice. Um, it happens every time I sit down to record. I think maybe you guys make me a little bit nervous. <laughs>